Sherilyn and I enjoy our relationship with uh, Pastor John and Anita. And uh, I think I spoke here one Wednesday night, but probably some of you weren't here on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Everybody smile at me. <laughs> anyway, um, we come from Lancaster County. Any of you ever been to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania? Down with the Amish people? Huh? You like the Amish people? I'm one of them. I am. I was Amish till I was 18. Yeah. Then I left because I wanted a car. <laughs> and, a, and a telephone and electricity. Somebody was fussing one time we had, we were out of electricity for uh, about a week, you know, a snowstorm or whatever happened and, and they were fussing about it. I said, that's nothing. I was without electricity for 21 years, <laughs> but it's an honor to be here and uh, bring you the word of God today. Uh, my wife, Sherlyn, as some of you were at her meeting yesterday, but uh, would you stand up, hon, and... and Oh, she's not very submissive, so she doesn't stand up. <laughs> Come on, they want to be able to see you, hon. There you go. <laughs> Three months from now, we'll be married 49 years. Wow. Wow. We got, we got married when we were 12. No, that's a lie. Uh, we have four kids. Uh, they're all grown, of course. One's in heaven, three, three are on the earth. One little, our little boy, when he was 16 months old in 1974, got out on the road and was hit by a vehicle and died. And uh, so looking forward to seeing him when we get to heaven. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure God had a plan for him here on the earth, but uh, some of those things you don't understand. Maybe we'll have greater understanding when we get to heaven. Yeah, so he was a, a cute little kid, but got out on the road one evening and, and, uh, and got hit. Uh, then we have five grandkids and two great-grandkids. So, uh, yeah, that's our, that's our family. Like uh, John, Pastor John said, uh, we started our church in 1977 after we graduated from Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa. And... Um, so we've been pastoring 40 years, this month, 40 years. It's amazing how time goes. And uh, so when, before we left Rama, um, I felt in my heart, I heard these words, um, 40 years. I heard these words in here before I even came back to Lancaster. And um, so, but you know, I thought Jesus would come back before then. So I didn't even really, I wasn't concerned about it a whole lot. And then when 35 years rolled around, I said to Sherlyn one day, we, you know what, this could actually happen. So let's put together a plan. And so we did. And we've, we put together a four-year plan, transition plan. And um, so next month, we'll be handing um, the lead pastor role to Matt Milan. He's a 40-year-old. 40, 40 and uh, he's been in our church since he's four years old and served as our worship director for nine years. And um, so he's, the, the congregation, it's been amazing to see how the congregation has embraced him and um, how the leadership and, 
and the staff has embraced him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a great, great journey. So, you know, sometimes in life you close one chapter and you open up another one. You know, and it's not like I'm, people say, are you going to retire? And I say, well, uh, I don't like even like to use that word. Uh, certainly be a little more flexible, but just entering into another chapter, we have a minister's network of about 100 ministers that I'll oversee, and I'll continue to oversee the Northeast region for uh, Rayma Ministerial Association here in, in the Northeast. And um, we do some missions traveling, and I'll be speaking at churches just like I am this morning. And so we'll probably be as busy as ever, and um, just a different role. I'll be at the church. That's our church. And I'll be cheering on the next, I'll, I'll be cheering on Mr. Matt, Pastor Matt and his wife, Kelly. So we're really looking forward to this. And uh, is it emotional? Yeah, yeah, sure. But, um, you know, life has seasons. And um, so um, moving into that. Well, I uh, come from an Amish. I'm the oldest of 12. And um, when I was a little kid, I always felt like I was called to preach, you know, even as a little Amish boy. And so Amish people only have church every other week. And so the week we didn't have church, we'd play church. And I was always the preacher. And my congregation was my siblings. And uh, my grandfather and, and grandmother lived in the other end of the house in their little apartment there. And, and um, so one day he came in and sat in my congregation. And then uh, after I was finished preaching, I think I was preaching about Daniel. <laughs> I think I was like 12 years old or maybe 13. He come up to me and he said, fly some dog watch two and bready ha. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's Pennsylvania Dutch. That's what we spoke at home. That means maybe someday you'll be a preacher. And so those words were like prophetic, you know, and I remember as I got into my wild years, I never got saved till I was 24 and really got out in the world a lot, got messed up a lot. And, uh, but I always remember those words, you know, I couldn't get away from those words. Even when I was drunk as a skunk in the backseat of someone's car, sick, you know, I, you know, sin is, is, is just crazy. Sin will take you further than you want to go. <laughs> and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you can pay. Aren't you glad Jesus paid for it? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And uh, so went my way and we got married and moved to Phoenix, Arizona uh, for four years. And um, just running from the call. And get saved, got saved out there. And we were, I, w I was in church. I was, a, I, w I was, you know, two-faced. Living a double life. I was, in, I was an usher. I was a head usher. On Sunday morning, I was a head usher. And, Sunday, and Saturday night, I'd be drunk. My wife would lock me out of the house. But in Phoenix, you know, she knew I wouldn't freeze to death. So I'd just lay out. It was warm out there, so I'd just lay out in the back until morning, unless I got mad enough to kick down the door, which I did. And um, she's the hero in this. She put up with all that. And so one day at our church, 
this singing group, and we were in a dead church. <laughs> I can say that because they're not hearing me, but it, it, it really, it really was. And, uh, and so, um, this singing group came and they were alive and it got my attention. And it, I was, my, my life was in a pretty fast downward spiral at that time. And I, I remember that it caught my attention that particular Sunday morning. And I said to Cheryl and my wife, I said, we're going to, and they were going to be at other churches on, you know, different nights of that week. And so we followed them around and they'd have altar calls. We didn't have altar calls in our church and it was a dead church. And uh, <laughs> so I'd hold on to the back of the bench and I'd start to sweat. I didn't know what it was. It was the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon me. And about the fourth night, Sherlyn said, I'm going up because she needed to rededicate her life. I, I, was a bad, I was a bad influence on her life, even though she stayed straight, but she just, you know, it was hard for her. And um, I was verbally abusive. I really was, you know, and never, I was never physically abusive, uh, but verbally, not, not a nice guy to be around. And um, so I, I, she went up and I was, thought to myself, I'm going up too. So a little 14 year old boy prayed for me. I was 24. My life changed. Never been the same since. Yep. Yep. Remember the next day. I was, I was going this direction. Now I'm going this direction. I remember the next day I went out and bought a living Bible. You ever, you ever hear the paraphrased edition, Living Bible? I read that Bible through seven times in one year. Got a hunger. I get emotional. <laughs> that hunger for the Word has never left me. Never left me. If you don't have a hunger for the Word, ask God to give you one. Because that's our foundation. That's the only unshakable foundation that we can have. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, of course, when I gave my life to Christ, I, that, that call that I felt as a little boy and that I was running from just was front and center right in front of me. And uh, those words that my grandfather said so, became so loud to me that I had to do something. But I only had eighth grade education. Well, Amish people don't go to high school and they don't go to college. Not allowed to. So I only had eighth grade education. I'm thinking, who, who's going to accept me? And, and what Bible school is going to accept me? So we started this Bible study. Uh, and the Bible study on a Tuesday night grew to 100 people in someone's house. And we were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God was healing people. And it was amazing. And one night, uh, uh, an, old, an older gentleman... Uh, came and gave me a Word of Faith magazine. This was 1974, and there was a little article, just a tiny little article that said, a new Bible school is starting, no high school diploma needed. I'm like, Whoa. I said to Sherlyn, that's it. That's what, let's, let's check it out. 
And so that's where we went to uh, Bible school. And our lives were changed. You know, bring, uh, growing up Amish, when you go to the Amish church, the preachers preach in German. At home, you speak Pennsylvania Dutch. So as a kid, you don't hardly rem understand anything in the service. It's terrible. It's stupid, actually. Don't tell them I said that, but it is. But it is, I'm telling you. And um, so we went there, and, and I remember we, our classes were 8.30 to 12 in the morning and afternoon. I would go and hang drywall because I was a drywall contractor before I went to school. So I'd, and, and at night, I'd sell shoes at J.C. Penney's. I'd fit shoes on people's stinky feet. And that's how we paid our way through Bible school. And um, uh, so now it's April. This is only a one-year school at that time. Now, today it's a two-year with a three-year option, I think, third-year option. And um, so now it's April of those nine months. And I'm thinking, I said to Shirley, what are we going to do? Because we, <laughs> we just went by faith. We had two little girls and just went. Didn't know where we would end up at. And, uh, and so we had a phone call. And they said, would you come back to Lancaster? That's, our, that's where we were raised. And uh, plaster a church. There's a small group of people back here who would like to start a church. And then I said, no, I don't think so. I didn't feel like, <laughs> like I was called to be a pastor. I wanted to kind of like be an evangelist, you know, or something like that. And... Um, but I couldn't, we couldn't sleep. And so finally one day I said, well, let's just go. Let's just go back and do it. You know? And uh, so we did. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, it was during a time when there was a move of God in that area um, and other pockets in the United States during that time. And in the 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of people hungry for God. And our church grew like crazy. I mean, the first... Uh, four years, we grew to a thousand people and people were hungry for the word and we were just trying to keep up. And um, so 40 years have come and gone. It's been a great journey. And um, what's been on my mind lately, our church started to even out. We always grew a little bit, not as much as we did in the first decade. And the second decade, we all, and then the, about 25 years in, we kind of leveled out. And I didn't like that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a task-oriented, vision-oriented guy. And I didn't like that. I wanted to see growth. And we live in a county, Lancaster County, that has 550,000 people and 350,000 don't go to church. Unchurched. And I'm thinking for us not to grow with 350,000 people at our fingertips is unacceptable. So for the last five, six years, I've just been talking about and praying about uh, this harvest that we have at our fingertips and the harvest that you have right here. Every church, you know, you exist to reach people. You know, sometimes people think they come to church to get fed. You do, but that's not the only reason you come to church. In fact, 
Sometimes people say, well, you know, we did, we're leaving because we're not getting fed. And I'm thinking, here, I'll give you your bottle. Everybody smile at me. You know, when you grow, you have to learn to self-feed. I mean, a little child, after a while, they feed themselves. So you can't just depend on the pastor and the church to feed you. Certainly, it's great to come and hear a message and get challenged, of course. But there's another side to it. We need to also feed ourselves if we want to grow spiritually. And if we want to reach our community for Christ. So being raised on a farm. Little Amish boy. Harvest time was an exciting time. Harvest was the goal, always. Bringing in the crops, that was the goal. All of our working of the ground, the planting, was all working toward the harvest. And that's what a church is all about. Working toward the harvest. And so, you know, being Amish, I would work with mules. Six mule team, out in a hot summer day, in a field that looked endless to me. You know, and I'd be out there and be hot and I'd be, you know, just fighting sleep. And these six mules, Dick and Pete and Jack and Jewel and Mike and Kate, that's where their names. So if any of you are named that, I'm not calling you a mule. That's just was our mules names. And um, just bored out of my gourd, wondering what's wrong with a tractor. That's what I would always think. What's wrong with a tractor? And so just bored, and I'll never forget this, John, one day, I probably was like 13 years old, maybe 14, and in my mind's eye, I saw a milk bottle on someone's porch, someone's front porch, and all of a sudden, at that age, I started to think, oh, so the reason I'm out here today, working the ground, is so I'm getting the ground ready to plant corn. I'll never forget my dad had come out and I'd be disking, you know, and, and he'd run his hand through the soil and I'd be thinking, I'd be sitting there thinking, oh man, please, please don't let him say go over it again. <laughs> and sometimes he would, sometimes he'd say, well, we got to go over that one more time. I'd say, oh no. But we'd be working the, the, the soil and then we'd plant the corn. Then we cultivate it and the corn would grow and, and yield a crop. And we'd go out and harvest the corn, put the corn in the corn bins. We'd shuck it by hand. One ear at a time. Yeah. Now they have these 10 row things. I knew nothing about that. So we'd put our corn in the corn bins and the feed man would come with a big piece of equipment. He put the corn in there and he add some, some uh, concentrate and stuff in there and make cow feed. And we feed it to the cows and the cows would produce milk and we'd milk the cows and put that milk into cans. We didn't, we didn't have bulk tanks. We were Amish. Remember? You didn't have any of that stuff. We weren't allowed to have that stuff. Why? I don't know. I still don't know. 
Well, we put the cans and in the cooler and the milkman would come and take them and take them to the cheese factory or, whatever, or the pasteurizing factory and put it in little bottles and take it and deliver it and put it on people's front porch. And I thought this today, as boring as it is, has purpose. And sometimes you think your life has no purpose and it may be boring, but look a little deeper. Your life has purpose. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes. Man, that clock has big enough numbers back there. I can see what time it is. Do you ever see that clock? Everybody look back and look at those numbers back there. That's big, man. John wanted to make sure. He wanted to make sure that when he has a guest speaker, they know what time it is. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just a down-home Amish country boy. I'm not a theologian. I just want to talk to you, all right? I just want to talk to you. This is how I preached all these years. I'm not saying theology isn't important. We need to have the foundations. But people want to know how to live, how to live it out. So if you're looking for something fancy, might as well leave now. This is about all you're going to get right here. But I want to talk to you about the harvest if you'll stay and listen. I believe the Holy Spirit would talk to your heart about your neighbors and about the people you work with and people you rub shoulders with. In John chapter 4, there's a story there. We call it the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus and his disciples were traveling, uh, returning to Galilee, and they had to go through Samaria. And the disciples went into the uh, town to buy food. Some of you know the story. In the meantime, this woman, a Samaritan woman came, and Jesus started talking to her, which was very unusual for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman. It was unusual for a Jewish man to speak to a woman out publicly like that, but especially a Samaritan woman. And uh, so let's pick it up at verse 27. So just then his disciples came back after Jesus had talked to this lady and kind of read her mail. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask. What do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Disciples must have been stunned. They said, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Disciples asked each other. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. 
What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. You know the saying, one plants another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Harvest on the farm was an exciting time, the most exciting time of the year. We had several weeks to get it in. There was always an urgency attached to the harvest. In the kingdom of God, it is always harvest time. Jesus said, don't say there's still four months. Look up, wake up, look at the fields. It's already white for harvest. So there's an urgency, just like there was on the farm. To get that crop in, we had a window of time. There's an urgency for us to wake up and look around because the fields are already white for harvest and we don't want to lose a harvest. People's eternal destiny are at stake. Are you listening to me? People's eternal destiny are at stake. I remember, I'm a storyteller too. <laughs> I remember my father, one year uh, we were, we, we'd also farm wheat. And one year we had a storm come and the wheat was flat to the ground. And the, we would only be allowed to bring in the wheat with a binder. A binder was where you put it in sheaves. Bring it in the sheaves. So the binder couldn't pick it up. And we were not allowed to use a combine. But my dad said, I'm not going to lose the crop. I'm going to hire a combine. And my mom said, Daddy, you can't do that. You have to confess a sin. He said, I'm not losing the crop. My dad was rebellious. Yeah, he, he was, I liked him. He was a great dad. A great dad. I like that about him. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was not Amish inside, just outside. And um, so we had a bishop, Amish bishop in the other district who had a combine. But the bishop in our district, we weren't allowed to have a combine in our district. So my dad goes over and gets the bishop in the other district to bring his combine over to our fields and combine our wheat. And as he was doing it, our bishop comes in the road and in the lane. I, just, I saw him coming. I knew his team. I saw him coming. And I was standing right there. And he comes up to my dad and he said, you know, Dan, dad's name was Dan. Dan, this is not good. You're going to have to be Kenafela. You're going to have to confess a sin. My dad said, when do you want me to do it? <laughs> so, so I remember the day up in front of the church. My dad gets up, said he was sorry for using a combine. And I'm like 13 years old sitting back there saying, no, you're not sorry. <laughs> But he didn't want to lose the crop. And that's a lesson for us. Whatever methods we need so that we don't lose the crop. I like what Jesus said in Matthew 9. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Kind of like the world we live in today. 
He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. We used to have prayer meetings where we pray for the harvest. One day I read this, I'm thinking, we have it all wrong. We don't have to pray for the harvest. It's already there. What we have to do is pray for workers. Pray that God would work on your heart so that you become a worker. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Then in Matthew 4, I love what Jesus said. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Somebody told me one time, when you fish for fish, you catch something that is alive and it dies. If you fish for people, you catch something that is dead and it lives. He said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. Nothing wrong with the fishing business, but in, in the ultimate sense, we are all in the people business. God has whatever vocation you're in. God has you there in that arena of life, in that vocation, in that arena for you to be a light for him. For you to bring the gospel to those people. Now I want to give you seven points about the harvest. Number one, we must own the responsibility of reaping the harvest. We must own the responsibility. Nobody else is going to do it. We must own the responsibility. Um, as any farmers in here? All right, see one, someone there. You know, I don't know what crops you you um, farm, but all the years until I was married, I worked on our farm. Even after I left the Amish at eighteen. My dad asked me if I'd stay. I wasn't dressed Amish anymore, but I'd still be out in the field working with the mules. And um, my dad was a rebel. You know, he helped me buy my first car. I asked him, I said, Dad, Pop, I don't have any money, but I want to get a car. He said, if you don't tell anybody, I'll help you with the down payment. <laughs> he wanted me to drive him around is really what he wanted, you know. <laughs> So he didn't have to hook up old Doc all the time. Doc was the name of our horse. But all those 21 years, I never saw a corn stalk walk by itself into the barn. I never saw, we, we farm tobacco too. Never saw a tobacco stalk walk in the barn by itself. We had to go get it. I'm not saying there's never unchurched people or people far from God that walk in here, but for the most part, we have to go get them. We have to go get them. Are you listening? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Now here's what I want you to see right here. And God has given us this task, has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Wow. He's given us this task. We must own the responsibility of reaping the harvest. Own it. As a church, as individuals, we own the responsibility. Not somebody else. He goes on to say, for God was in Christ. <laughs> Amazing. For God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. Did you know God was in Christ? When he was hanging on the cross? Think about that. God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And that's what the, that's what the world needs to hear. That God's not holding their sins against them. He's paid for them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We must own the responsibility of reaping the harvest. Number two, we must develop a love for lost people. If you don't have a love for lost people, I'm going to pray for all of us today that we're going to get a love for lost people. That we think about people's eternal destiny when we see them. Jesus, in Luke 15, says tax collectors and other notorious sinners often... Everybody say often. This is amazing. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I looked at that one day. I said, man, there must have been something about him that people far from God, they, were, they felt comfortable coming to him. And I, saw, I wonder if people feel comfortable coming to me. This made the Pharisees, the pastors... The teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus was ridiculed for spending time with people that needed him the most. The question is, do we have friends that are not Christians? I realize that as a pastor, most of my uh, people that I rub shoulders with are Christians. So I've I, I got to find a way. So I'm a bowler, a bow in a leg I have for many, many years. I'm a pretty good one. My average is 223. Five perfect games. <laughs> but that's my mission field. Sometimes, sometimes those guys, and they all know I'm a pastor, you know. Sometimes those guys, will, they'll make a bad shot and they'll come back cursing, you know. They say, oh, I'm sorry, pastor. I say, you don't have to be sorry for it. I've heard that before, but maybe you ought to repent to God. <laughs> Not me. We've got to have a love for lost people. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. I love those guys and I've had opportunity to talk to them about life. Mm. And I thought one day, how did I get that love for lost people? Lost people don't turn me off. I mean, the worst person, I want to get to them. Yeah. 
Because I remember how I was. Lost. Feeling hopeless. I remember being afraid to die. I remember not being able to sleep. Being afraid to die at age 24. I remember those days. But we were in, in Bible school and every once in a while they would bring in a guest speaker to speak at our chapels. And one day T.L. Osborne was invited. Some of you might know that name. And uh, he was a, an evangelist that traveled around the world and never forget that. He was speaking that day and it felt like his words were tangible. It, it just felt like they were coming in here. And I started to, we both started to weep. And I looked around and people in the classroom were weeping. It was that, it was that something was being imparted to us. And so when we left that day from the classes, I said to Sherlyn, what, what, what are we crying about? She said, I don't know. I don't know. But later on, we realized it was an impartation from the Holy Spirit about people far from God. The third thing is we are the sent ones. When we pray that prayer that we read earlier there in Matthew 9, it says, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Maybe sometime we ought to put in there, send me. Because I'm one of the workers. It's not just somebody else. Send me. We are the net. We are the fishermen. We are sent into every arena of life. God needs people in every arena of life, regard whatever your vocation is. He has you there because you're the sent one. And number four, we must have eyes for the harvest. Jesus saw the crowds. It says, when he saw the crowds, or are our lives so full today that when we see a hurting person, that we walk right by and we don't even see them? Do we need to build some margin into our lives so that if we have an opportunity to help somebody, that we have time to do it? We live in a past, in a fast-paced society. But Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Lift up our eyes and see the people. People of faith see things that other people don't see. People of faith hear things that other people don't hear. We hear, I don't know about you, but I hear the cries of lost people. I hear the cries of hurting people. I hear them in my heart. I can walk by somebody anywhere and hear it. You know, Jesus, he was our example. He's coming into town one day in a certain town and there was this man there. Nobody could tame him. He's demon possessed. 
they tried to chain him and he'd just break the chains. And so finally they, they were at their wits end and nobody, nobody said, well, let's, we're just going to have to put him out among the tombs. Rejected this man. Nobody, nobody wanted to be around him. Rejected out there all by himself. Jesus comes to that area and where does he go? He goes to that man. <laughs> he goes to that man. There was probably crowds waiting for him, but he goes to that man. You know why? Because he heard his cry and he knew that, that he, he, he saw past the outside. He knew, he, he saw what that man could become. I'm glad people saw something in me. I'm glad my wife saw something in me and stayed with me. The first four years of our marriage were not good. So that man was set free. And if you read this in Mark chapter 5, you know, that's when the demons begged to go into the pigs and the pigs went over the, into the lake and the whole, country, the whole town came out and told Jesus to leave because they didn't want their pigs to be drowned, you know. And all this, it, was, it, was an ama- it must have been some kind of deal. But here's the man. Here's what it says. It says, the man clothed and in his right mind. You can read it. You don't have time to go there now. You can read it. And the man begged. He said, Jesus, I just want to go with you. I just want to be with you. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You need to go back and tell your family how God has had compassion on you. And then the Bible says that he went into 10 cities and preached the gospel. This demon-possessed man. You got to see people with the eye of faith. If you have a family member that you're thinking is never going to come to Christ, don't have that. Don't say that. Don't think that. See them with eyes of faith. Number five, all are involved in the harvest. It's not for a select few. Some people say, well, you know, Pastor Sam, I'm just not evangelistically motivated. Well, I don't know what that means anyhow. Evangelistically motivated. Well, everybody is not going to preach behind a pulpit. You know, when I was a kid, I was so shy. You wouldn't believe that I'm up here today. They asked me to stand up in school in the, in the fourth grade and the seventh grade and asked me to read a paragraph out of a book and I fainted. So when God called me to preach, I said, don't you remember school? I faint, I faint. <laughs> but all are involved in the harvest. Well, you know, I'm just not evangelistically motivated. But everybody can tell their story. You can talk to that person that you work beside, that person you live beside. You say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. That's how we're going to win the loss, my friends. That's how we're going to do it. Individual mobilization. Number six, you got to believe for a harvest. We'll never rise above what we believe. Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth. You got to believe that, that, that God will give you opportunities. You know what I start doing? In the morning, before I leave the house, I say, God, 
give me an opportunity today. And when you give me an opportunity, help me see it. Don't let me walk by. Don't let me drive by. So this convenience store close to our church stopped in there and I befriended. You got to do this on purpose. See, you got to be intentional. So I started befriending this guy, the owner. His name is Singh. He's an Indian guy from, from the Punjab state in India. I've been to India 20 times. So I know I've been all over. So I know exactly where he's from. Punjab said his name was Singh. He's a Sikh. The turban. And um, so I'm talking to him one day and he's talking about, about my trips. And I, you know, when I started talking about India, man, he, I, I pat him in my hands. And then uh, I told him, who, he said, I know who you are. I said, oh, you do? I said, he said, yeah. He said, everybody knows who you are. I said, no, not everybody. <laughs> and uh, so I got my stuff and paid for it and talked a little more. And I was going up the road and I heard this voice in my heart. It says, I wasn't finished yet. I said, what? I wasn't finished yet. So I turned the car around and went back and went in and Singh says, did you forget something? I said, yeah. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little further. And I talked to him about Jesus. He listened. He said, well, I'm a Hindu or I'm a Sikh. It's a, it's a branch off of Hinduism. I'm a Sikh. And I said, well, uh, what do you, and then I talked to him about Jesus, but he, he didn't give his life to Christ that day. But at least I planted a seed. Didn't we, did you remember what we read? Some plant, some harvest. Well, we got to take advantage of the opportunity. And the last one is, where is your treasure today? Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Matthew 6, it says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The treasure talked about there is people. It's the only thing we can take to heaven. We can't take anything else to heaven. So where's your treasure today? Where's your heart today? Life is all about people. It's about loving people, about serving people, about empowering people, about accepting people, about healing people, delivering people. It's all about reaching lost people, poor people, rich people, every, everybody around us. Jesus ministered to one and he ministered to many. Even as he hung on the cross, think about this. There was never anybody so preoccupied with people as Jesus was. He, even when he hung on the cross, he looked at the soldiers that had just nailed him to the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he looked over there and he saw his mom and he said to John, he said, take care of mom. Make sure mom's taken care of. And he says, from that day, that young man took his mother home and took care of him, took care of her. And then he was concerned about the two thieves on either side of him on the worst day of his life. Still concerned about people. I thought, how, how did he always treasure people like that? How did he always treasure what mattered most? 
and stay focused on that. And I thought, you know what? Because he understood eternal realities. He understood that the death rate is 100%. All of us in this room will die unless Jesus comes back first. And he might. But as long as he doesn't come back, we're going to die. And only people make it to the other side. And so, my friends, we're in the harvest fields of the world. And this is not just for the evangelist. This is for all of us. We must be concerned about the same things Jesus is concerned about. And so we plant churches in communities and we go into our arena of life and we have a heart for lost people and we are thinking about people's eternal destiny that we work beside or we live beside. We go to the nations, to the workplace, to the community because we love people. The window of opportunity is still wide open. We don't know how much time we have left. And sometimes when people say, I wish Jesus would come back tomorrow, I always say, no, 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 no. I'm ready. But I know people that aren't. And I know some people that are close to me that aren't. So don't come yet. I'll probably say that as long as I live. And the reason I say it is because Jesus told us or was it Paul told us to occupy till he comes and not have this fatalist kind of idea? You know, we're just going to go up in the mountaintop and wait till Jesus comes and let people die and go to hell. So I always say, no, no. Well, come yet. I'm ready when you do come. But I've got work to do. We've got work to do. My friends, God did his part by sending Jesus and Jesus did his part by coming. And the Holy Spirit is doing his part today, but he's doing it through us. He can't do it by himself. He does it through us. And that's why he gives us visions and dreams in our sphere of influence. That's why he gives young men visions and old men dreams there in Acts 2. Because God gives us those for the sake of reaching people. And that's why we must take steps of faith and do what seems impossible. Are you listening? All for the sake of the harvest. Amen. Well, I preach long enough. Let's stand up. Now, I had a couple things in my heart. How many of you have a family member that needs to come to Christ? Most of you. I'm going to ask you to do something. Come up and stand right here with me. If you have a family member that needs to come to Christ, you don't have to stand in a line, just come and bunch up here right behind me, right around me. I want to pray for those individuals. Let me tell you a couple, let me tell you a story. My 39 year old son getting married this month. 
for the first time. But he got out into some things some years ago and, and um, come on in closer, give room for everybody to come. And uh, so he got out and doing his own thing and he had two DUIs driving under the influence. And um, one of them ended up with his SUV upside down two o'clock in the morning. And he came in our house the next, next day with his hands up. He said, I don't need a lecture. I said, okay, I'm not gonna give you a lecture, Jamie. So he sat down at the kitchen breakfast table. I said, I wanna say two things. Can I say two things? He said, okay. I said, number one, you could have died. I said, number two, you could have killed someone else. I said, that's all I'm gonna say. And from that day on, he's a drummer. He's a jazz drummer. Really good at it too. And so we had a jazz drummer, professional jazz drummer in our church who traveled the world drumming with groups. And um, I started to say, I said, Lord, I didn't pray. I just said it. You know, Jesus said, you can have what you say. I just said it every day for a year. I said, Father, put Jamie with Clyde. That was the name of the professional jazz. Put Jamie with Clyde. Put him with Clyde. Put him with Clyde. So a year later, Jamie says, Dad, what would you think if I'd get lessons from Clyde? I said, Jamie, that's a good idea. He doesn't know to this day that I did that. But I was concerned about his eternal destiny. The first lesson he had, he gave his life to Christ or rededicated his life. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's in the, in the, in the jazz world, you know, and, and plays in clubs and stuff like that. And he's a Christian. And he meets this girl, and she's not a Christian, getting married next month. And he comes to our house one day and he says, Dad, don't you think that she can believe the way she does and I believe the way I do? Don't you think that'll work? And I said, well, I'm not saying it can't, but I said, I don't think it will. Usually it doesn't. And I said, many times what happens is the one that's a Christian drifts toward the other one. Then he said, well, what am I going to do then? I said, we're going to pray. That's what we're going to do. He said, well, how should I pray? So we gave him some scriptures that we've been praying. We've been praying. You know, when you pray, the Holy Spirit works. See, we want to fix it. We want to fix our family members, but we can't fix them. We can't fix them. We love them so much that we want to fix them, but you can't fix them. But you can pray and the Holy Spirit starts to work. So they're meeting with the photographer. They're getting married this month in two weeks. And meeting with the photographer, and the photographer was a Christian, the friend of my son's fiance. Her name's Sabrina. And uh, so the photographer says to Sabrina, Sabrina, you really need to give your life to Jesus. <laughs> Just like that. Now, Sabrina has no, back, no spiritual background, no, not none. And then, and then the photographer said, uh, and the reason you do is because God, wants, she's a singer, God wants to use your talent for him. And so the Holy Spirit's working. 
He's working. And now that movie's out, The Case for Christ. Oh. Any of you see it? Yeah. Yeah. So I called my, we called our son, or uh, I think Sherlin called Jamie and said, hey, Jamie, you ought to take, you ought to take uh, Sabrina to see that movie. So he said something to her. She said, I want to read the book first. So she's reading the book. God's working. God's working. I don't have much patience, but he's working. <laughs> you know, we want it to happen tomorrow. But sometimes we need to have patience. The two scriptures I gave to Jamie was one is in Ephesians chapter one. I think it's verse 18 where it talks about opening the eyes of their understanding. Yes. And the other one was the one we use today, send laborers into the harvest. So that's what we're going to pray. And we're also going to pray this. Just, just, the Holy Spirit just, just gave me this just now, just right now. Ezekiel 36, I believe it is. Just hold on a second. Here's, here's a scripture for all of you. Whether it's a son or a daughter or mom or dad or grandpa, grandma, whoever it is and you're, that you're up here for. We love these people. We love them. We don't care how much their life is messed up, but we look with eyes of faith. I have a grandson that just had dinner with him the other night. He's 24. He's messed up. But I see him with eyes of faith. That's why I say, Jesus, don't come back yet. But here's a scripture. It says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Wow. So we're going to pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name. Whoever... Every person is up here for. We pray that you would give them a new heart. Put a new spirit in them. Take out their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. We pray that the eyes of their understanding would be open to the truth. We pray that you would send someone across their path. Lord, sometimes it takes someone other than us, their family member. Sometimes they'll listen to someone else more than they will to us. Pray that you would send someone across their path that could speak right to their heart. And we claim every one of them for the kingdom of God. We pray that not one of them would be lost. Not one of them would go to hell, but all would go to heaven. We claim every one in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus.